<laughs> Already off to a great start, guys. Okay, let's try this again. <laughs> this has never happened before. <laughs> it's my fault. You can blame me. No. <laughs> it's, it's my dumbass for going to bed at like 3 a.m. Like, seriously. I... <laughs> okay. It's episode 22 with the Metrofan TV Weekly Rundown. Coming to you live. With two games on the agenda this week. Let's write, ladies and gentlemen, MLS regular season going to be back to you this Saturday, Sunday? I think it's a Saturday in the U.S., right? I'm not really sure. Anyway, it's me. Yeah. It's Lens and Fernando coming to you live from the usual locations. How are you, Fernando, on the verge of this wonderful, wonderful MLS season that's upon us? Great. I'm excited as hell. I'm very excited. Two more days until we finally get to uh, go to Red Bull Arena, so I'm feeling good. And of course, it is Oscar season, ladies and gentlemen. So joining us on the <laughs> weekly run now this week <laughs> is RBNY Twitter's resident film aficionado and friend to all felines everywhere, Lee. How are you, Lee? I'm good. <laughs> Evidently, everyone survived the Oscar nom- the like like the Oscars last night, right? Like uh, we don't really need yeah. to go. I didn't. To- I, my my blood pressure didn't explode from like too much anger. You know, I um. I did my best to not like, you know, lose my voice screaming at the Oscars the way I do during like a Red Bull game. <laughs> I mean, my friends were having aneurysms over the Green Book winning, but I don't, we don't think we really need to uh, go too deep into that. We really don't want to because we have. Yeah, let's it. not. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. I was told that that would be toxic. But anyway. <laughs> yeah, sorry, uh, not to get too messy two minutes into the episode, because uh, we do have a lot in the agenda today. We had a game last week, ladies and gentlemen, in the Dominican Republic. Like, that just feels so good to say, doesn't it? Having <laughs> finally having something in the winter to tide us over until it gets slightly warmer. But I mean, not to boast or anything, but in my case, like it's kind of always warm here, so I'd kind of like maybe trade the weather for like about a week. But that could. But in the Dominican Republic, of course, we faced off against Atlético de Pantoa in our opening um, match in the in the 2019 Concacaf Champions League, and you know I think um, we'll kind of start off discussion about this game. Uh, obviously, I think before we started. You know, I think there was a bit of uh, uncertainty that I sensed from certain segments of the fan base because, you know, whenever you kind of come against a bit of an unknown quantity like you did in Atletico de Pantoa, right? We don't really have much of a barometer to kind of, like, gauge, you know. I think in the back of your mind, for some people, there's always kind of like this um, possibility that they'd kind of shock you or take you by surprise and that... You know, I think the last time this team went down to the Caribbean, especially considering the fact that the last time a team, this team went down to play a team from the Caribbean in CONCACAF Champions League action, I think it was the W Connection game in 09. <laughs> so, um, you know, I think there was a bit of, you know, uncertainty that maybe, like, the unthinkable could have happened. But I think what really put a lot of people's minds at ease is that they kind of really did come out, played 90 minutes against a team in a method that they should have, right? I mean, like, I think looking at the way that um, RBNY came out and played in this game, you know, like, just complete, wouldn't say maybe flat-out domination from start to finish, but it kind of did really seem that way, right? Like, with seeing as how they kind of were parked in 
the Dominican side of the field, like for most of the game. And, uh, you know, I think especially around the 30 minute mark, you know, the chances really started flowing and kind of put things beyond doubt. So I think I'll begin with this um, discussion on the game as a whole. I think uh, it kind of puts your mind at ease, right? Like kind of seeing just how um, seeing the team dominate against a team that they really should have been dominating from the go kind of bodes well for how of a, or a likely of a likelihood for uh, being able to get things done at home, I'd say. What do you guys feel? Yeah, I mean, I feel like they went out. It didn't look as easy as, you know, people would like it to look, but they looked like they were trying hard the whole time. They were up for it. They were respecting the team that they were playing. They weren't like, you know, waltzing around like certain other, um, you know, MLS teams who <laughs> think that, you know, they can just, you know, roll over everyone in the Caribbean and Central America and, you know, who cares? Um, I thought that they knew it was a serious game. They knew that they were playing an opponent who would take it seriously. And yeah, they brought what they needed to bring. And that's all you can really ask for like the first game that actually matters in a season. Yeah. I think it was important to see the, uh, to kind of just see things work. I mean, we probably could have, they could, they probably could have dropped five or six goals. I mean, there they were, there were, there were, I think what three, three failed chips in a row in a span of about 10 minutes that, you know, if that happens I don't know, two months from now, the team is sharp enough where those go in. Um, but it was good to see everyone kind of on the same page tactically. For me, that was the biggest thing. Um, unfortunately, we didn't get to see that much uh, preseason uh, this year. So it's kind of, you know, one of the big question marks is this is, you know, Chris Armas's first full preseason. How is the team going to look? And that was the first real true competitive match. So it was good to see certain parts, I think, function tactically. Um, again, the sharpness, the, the cleanliness of passing and all that stuff. That's that kind of stuff I'm not that worried about. That's just going to come with more games and, and, and come with 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 time, just as it does every year for, for every for every team. For me, the most important thing was was seeing how the team was performing uh, as a unit regarding the system. So seeing Kaku playing way far up the field like he was uh, the first half of last season was really good. Um, he looked so much more comfortable than he did in the second half of last season. Um, who else? Uh, I thought Rizzo was arguably man of the match. He had such a good game that game. Um, I, I mean, just pretty much everyone had, had I think, had a good game. I, I think everyone uh, showed that there's, you know, that that there's still that cohesiveness uh, uh, between them. Um, and yeah, again, just tactically, it looked like they 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 were they were gelling already, which is going to happen when when you bring back the majority of the best team in MLS history, right? We weren't we didn't we didn't see a huge turnover, uh, at least with our best with our best guys. So. Um, for me, that was that was the best. That was definitely the best thing to see, and I do love and appreciate that. You can tell there was a higher level of respect, even though you know, with all due respect to the you know to this Dominican team, they're probably the weakest team in in all of in all in this entire competition. This team still went in there with respect. You you just listen how Chris Armas talks about it and how some of the players talked about it. They did not walk walk in there, you know, thinking that there was some king shit and just they were just going to do what they had to do and that was it. You know, they went in there with with respect. They tried to research them. They tried to find out as much as they could, and you know, they did what they had to do. Yeah, I believe like uh, the official statistic from the match is that Luis Robles didn't have to make a single save. If I'm not mistaken, and anytime your yeah. your goalkeeper basically has. Hmm. A day off. I mean, like that's 
kind of an indicator that like uh, you went out and just did what you had to do against a team at this caliber, you know? And I think um, um, we brought up RZA and uh, mm-hmm. that was going to be one of the uh, big question marks, I think, for um, going into this game for me was trying to figure out like who gets the call to replace Tyler Adams, like the first call to do that, right? And I think seeing RZA in that lineup, I think you can kind of see that the dynamics are going to be different, I think, this year. Because you don't replace a player like Tyler Adams, like, like for like, you know, like you replace it by going down a new direction a bit more and recalibrating the system to kind of, uh, or recalibrate the uh, tactics to fit what the new, the next guy down can bring. And, you know, I think we saw a bit of that in this match, you know, of how many line breaking passes that Rizzo was making, as well as his like just unbelievable performance intercepting and getting stuck in in midfield, right? I mean, that was a. I'm, I'm going to be echoing Fernando here, and because uh, like that was just an absolutely stunning performance from everyone's very uh, diminutive German, especially mm-hmm. for that um, really nice through ball that played in Kaku, who played in Royer on the second goal. I mean, that's kind of like a, the interesting thing for me is that while you don't have someone in that slot like Tyler Adams is going to be able to just chew up like every single blade of grass in the field intercepting balls and getting stuck in deals like all over the center of the pitch you do have someone who has more of that just abs- that you know very incisive passing through the lines you know it's a bit like what Dax McCarty used to do with Sasha Question back in the day but only instead of Sasha Question now you have Kaku a bit further up the field who is receiving who's on the end of those balls you know and I think that's a very exciting thing to potentially whet your appetite for the season. You know, I think like just Riz's incisiveness in the past is sort of like this very new look to this team that potentially serves as a weapon for helping break down bunkering defenses, you know, and I think it's very important to have something like that, this team, because we were talking so much about how Velo liked, um, takes up a lot of the playmaking burden. You know, I think having someone like Riza in there as well is important. And that's kind of what it enabled Kaku to play higher up the field, knowing that they had someone in a deeper role who was capable of playing those kinds of passes. Well, you know where Riza learned how to do all those, you know, lovely, incisive passes. Yes. <laughs> it was only the, the greatest league in the world. Uh, you know, the Zweite Bundesliga. Say it again. Say it again for the, everyone in the back. The Zweite Bundesliga is the greatest league in the world. This is a fact. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, it- <laughs> <laughs> but, but like seriously, like the thing about Riza that I really love is that, you know, he's had the like, you know, hustle. Like he's not like, not to risk sounding too filmy, but um, like Tyler Adams is like, you know, like an ingenue. Like, you know what I mean? He's like a yeah. raw young talent. He's naturally gifted. A guy like him comes along like once in a blue moon. Like he's incredibly special. But like someone like Riza, you know, he's he's a solid professional who's been playing in Europe. And yes, it's not the fancy pants fucking leagues in Europe. He's not, you know... <laughs> He didn't fucking play in a World Cup, like, whatever. Not that he could have done any worse than, like, the German national team in the last World Cup. I don't want to go down that road. Um, (laughs) But, like, you know, he's had the hustle and he's had to work hard. And he's, you know, had to work hard in a league that, even if it's not a top flight league, it's really competitive. Like, the, the, the league is insanely close between promotion and relegation every year. Like, you have to... You have to be on your game. And I think that he is going to bring a lot of really good mentality and work rate from that league to us this season. Yeah, I think 
the biggest surprise was actually how much ground Riza covered. I don't recall him. Uh, I don't recall him like really covering that much ground last year, really at any point. Even when he, even like really, it didn't matter who was next to him, whether it was him and Adams or him and Davis. I don't remember him ever actually having to cover as much ground as he did. So I don't. I don't know. That's it, for me. It was a little interesting because the thing that I was concerned the most about losing uh, Adams that I knew just simply could not be uh, replaced at all was that work rate and his ability to just kind of be everywhere. You blink and, you know, he's 30 yards down the fucking field and you're like, when the hell did that happen? Rizza didn't quite show that level of covering the field, but he definitely seen, at least to me, to, to, to cover a lot more space and a lot more ground than he ever did last year. So Rizza brings things to the, to, to, to the field that Adams doesn't. You know, Rizzo, I think at this just because of his experience is, um, you know, a little smarter uh, uh, in in terms of the kind of understanding what's going on and and understanding positioning and where he should be. You know, he doesn't have to rely on just pure athleticism. Where okay, if maybe I'm not in a perfect position, that's okay because I'm just such an athletic guy, I can make up that ground. Rizzo doesn't have that luxury, so I think he has smarter positioning. I think he reads the game better. He definitely passes better than uh, than Adams. But and those things are fine. But again, where I was a little worried about was was the space that wouldn't be covered. You know that kind of that hole that we would have. So I, I thought it was interesting to see that Rizzo can cover a lot of ground. Maybe nowhere near as much as as Tyler Adams. But if he's able to kind of pick up a bigger slack than maybe we thought he could, then that kind of makes that transition that much easier. Because I mean, even Davis was covering a lot more ground than uh, than I'm used to. So for me, it seemed like there was a lot of. Um, a lot of the space and ground that 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 Tyler Adams uh, covered that the team would now have to figure out is not being replaced by just one player, right? They're not – again, like you guys said, he was a very special player. You weren't going to just bring in someone to replace Tyler Adams. It doesn't work like that. What you do is you basically have to formulate a tactical plan to make up for losing him. And I think, it, at least it, it seemed in just that one game, that the idea is to kind of maybe use some of that – um, that high-level soccer IQ that Adam, uh, that Davis, that Rizzo, that Gaku, and some of the other guys in the midfield have to kind of just maybe use positioning and use your mind to 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 kind of just make up for that ground in a just really more a more efficient way to not have to rely on just a pure athletic ability of a player to just you know kind of be all over the place. Yeah, right. And uh, I, I think it definitely showed, like you said. I mean. Uh, um, one of the more understated things I think I saw in the midfield is that, you know, like there was a very higher, there's a slightly higher level of a positional fluidity than you might've seen last year, you know, because I think uh, Davis could kind of play a bit more passive with a Tyler Adams next to him. Cause Adams could kind of just shoulder the uh, workload of two players in midfield. I mean, that's mm-hmm. basically what he gave you, right? He's like, it, like just his work rate alone is going to make it feel like playing against like 13 guys in your team. So um, <laughs> like, it was interesting to kind of see like, like Rizzo and Davis is kind of popping up all over the field, um, sharing the workload. I think that was uh, vacated by Taylor Adams. And I think like Rizzo kind of also showed like uh, this thing that we've been kind of talking about on here, you know, he's sort of like this median point between Tyler Adams and Christian Castor is, you know, like he has more of that passing ability than Tyler does. Uh, he's also like a lot more adept at like working to counter pressing, um movements than caster is at this point so it kind of creates this interesting conundrum i think in midfield going forward that'd be kind of interesting to see 
because now I think this kind of redefines Caceres as being the next guy down for Sean Davis as opposed to the next guy down for Mark Tchaikovsky. You know, I think that's kind of like a one of those interesting, maybe emergent threads that we could kind of observe forming from this opening game. But the other um, emergent trend, I think, that kind of stood out from this game is, I mean, uh, you know, I think Kamar Lawrence's health was a bit of a question um, coming into this game. So it was going to be, it was kind of interesting for me to kind of see, like, who who Chris Armas threw out at left back. And, you know, um, for the opening 20 or 25 minutes, uh, it was Connor Laid um, who looked I mean, admittedly, I think he looked. Uh, he, if there was someone on the day that I could kind of, maybe just throw a bit of criticism at, it's probably mm-hmm. him, because uh, I don't know, like uh, the the distribution from the left back spot didn't look so great with him in it, and uh, you could still kind of sense that there was still that slight element of, uh, you know, like of the team trying to compensate for the fact that he's on the field, like we saw against Atlanta. Right. So um, I think it's kind of, it's kind of emerged. I, I think as being left back as being a, the backup left back spot as being a bit of a potentially troubling spot for me personally, just based on what I saw in that 20 and that opening half. And, uh, you know, I think as soon as Kamar came in the second half, I don't think it was really a coincidence that we just completely shut them out of the game after that, you know? Like, uh, that kid, Ronaldo Vasquez, like, didn't have a sniff at all in that second half as soon as Kamar came on. And you can kind of see the gulf in quality there, I think. So it's going to be interesting if Kamar, how much time Kamar gets on Wednesday, I think, especially in the light of the fact that we have a game on Sunday, is it Sunday or is it Saturday in the U.S. that this game comes on? I think it's in, it's a Saturday at five. Saturday, at like, yeah. At four thirty or something, right? Okay, uh, yeah. something like that, yeah. Okay, so yeah, yeah, I get, yeah. So that's going to be kind of one of those emergent things, I think, going forward. Is that I don't know. Um, yeah, not I, to really drill on Connor too much. Go ahead. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I feel bad because I feel like I did quite a quite a bit of ragging on him. Um, uh, you know, after the playoff run, but I mean, I, I'm going to be honest. <laughs> it, the only, the only time I ever felt uneasy in that game really was any time the ball was anywhere near Connor laid. I mean, he, he, he did stop a couple of, 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 of plays and he didn't do bad, but there were definitely, there were definitely two or three moments where in my head, I caught myself saying, if this was, if this was like half of MLS or, you know, and even three quarters of MLS, like the dude would have got burnt right there. You know, if 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 someone was just a little bit quicker, they'd have got to the ball before him. If it was a more dynamic winger, the dude would have dribbled right around him. Like stuff like that. And and you know, I railed about the lack of fullback depth almost the entire second half uh, on, on this pod. And I I don't want to say I told you so, but I was right. I felt better going into the season because I thought Amro would be that left back um, uh, depth. And even even Chris himself had mentioned, you know, that he wasn't only center back depth, but he was also left back left back depth. Seeing Lade go out there for this game was a little frustrating. And then seeing him just kind of clearly being the worst player on the field for us definitely left me uneasy. Um, I don't know if this is a thing where 
where if you know Emra has to to learn basically two different positions for the system, so maybe that learning curve is a lot higher than 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 any of the new uh, incoming guys, which would totally make sense. Um, but I, I don't know. I don't want to rail on him again, but I, I have to say I'm, I'm after seeing that game, I'm not as confident about our fullback depth that uh, uh, than I was before that at all. So I, I hope. I hope that, you know, if it is just Emro kind of just needing to learn stuff, he, he kind of learns as quickly as possible because, and I, I hate to sound as harsh as I'm about to sound, but if Lade ends up seeing one second in any later rounds of Champions League for any reason other than our left back depth is just like destroyed already, that's a problem for me. That's a significant problem. Yeah, I would like not like to see Connor laid on the field against even Santos if we played him in the next round. Yeah, um, yeah. No, 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 no. Like, I mean, I feel bad. Like you said, I don't think <laughs> any of us, I don't think any of us want to rag on Connor Laid because believe it or not, we're not mean people. No, and, and, and he's a, and I like him. You know, he's a hustler. He works his ass yeah, off, and yeah. I'll never take it away from him. But you know, unfortunately, reality is reality, and I just don't think. I just don't think he's really up to snuff to to yeah. to play in such an important position. Our fullbacks are so vital to how this team plays. We saw that. We've seen it a whole bunch of times, but we especially saw that against Atlanta, how that can just completely unbalance everything because it's not just him. It's when you have that big of a drop off from, from Kamar to, to not Kamar, basically um, what you're able to do, how you're able to push and how, how far you're kind of able to, to, to kind of press those buttons and, and take those risks. It makes it hard to do. And when it's not working, you're you're basically forcing the other players on that side to kind of fall back and cover for you, and that just that just unbalances everything. We saw it against uh, uh, against the team the other day, right? Just like like Lens, like Lens said, when when Kamar came in there, the team looked like visibly different. Like they looked a lot more comfortable, a lot more aggressive. It's not that the team was playing horrible before it laid on there, but there's just a visual clear difference when Kamar's on that field and when he's not on the field. It just completely unbalances everything it's not just about that one position it's how all of these positions and all of these roles are directly connected to each other and if one one piece is missing especially how how deep that missing piece is it it just it can mess everything up and i just i don't know i'm I'm not feeling too good about that i legitimately find it terrifying how different the team looks when kamara is on the field (laughs) Yeah, like right. <laughs> we saw it we saw it in the series against Atlanta like I honestly I really think that we could have gone on to the final if we had Kamar Lawrence like not having him it's like one little linchpin and you pull it out and like everything falls to pieces it's yeah. like he's holding he's literally holding dare I say it a system yeah. together <laughs> and you take him out and it's a shambles it doesn't work and like well maybe a shambles is a bit of an exaggeration I still clearly am thinking about the Atlanta stuff but um like it just as soon as he came on in the Champions League game like the entire team was just flowing better and meshing better and passing better. And just they looked more confident. Like he clearly, he brings so much to the field, both tangible and intangible qualities that the idea of not having him is scary. And he has been so injury prone because of how hard he, you know, goes into every game with his like 
brilliant tackles. He puts himself on the line all the time. I worry about his head because he's always hitting his head on things. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, I don't want to like not have Kamar Lawrence for a game because of all these things. Because, oh Jesus! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, um, um, it, like, like that's that's the thing I mean, you see that when he came in is that like on top of that, like of all on top of all the things that Lee mentioned, you know, on top of like Kamar's work rate, on top of his positional discipline and like his uncanny ability to make it seem like he's simultaneously playing left back and center back you know you're also kind of having a guy who just has better technical technical attributes out of that left back position like you saw how much quicker the ball was being released from when he won it back you saw how much more i think precise the passing was you know it wasn't quite like connor kind of getting the ball kind of standing there for a bit and trying to lump the ball up into the center and not having not really pull off a bit you know it's like all these little things all these little bits and pieces you know where you don't really appreciate kamar lawrence until like he's out of the lineup you know and he's been such an omnipresent um presence i think for us in so many different facets over the last few years that i think sometimes as a fan base even we take that for granted right so um that's sort of one thing that if we make an additional signing going into the season like i would like a def- someone definitive maybe that relegates connor laid to the third choice fullback position on both sides you know i think that's gonna put my mind at ease a little bit more but i mean like we said you know i mean like it could be amro and i really do hope it's amro because i mean on a like how can you say no to a face like that and b <laughs> like <laughs> Be yeah, like, I hope it's Amro because I want to look at Amro. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, B, I mean, like, he, he has a lot of those technical attributes that we see in Kamar Lawrence to a degree. You know, I mean, I mean, like, no one can cover the amount of ground attacks he does both ways. But Amro has this very polished smoothness on the ball. And, you know, he's not some scrub. This was a guy who was an Egypt's World Cup preliminary roster after all so we know that there's some level of pedigree there and he's had some admirers for a while it's just you know i think it's like for what fernando said it's just a matter of time with him and i really do hope that as the season goes on you kind of see him starting to be the second choice option a bit more yeah and and look remember the team we don't know how much it was but the team did pay some type of transfer fee for this guy so obviously they felt they felt confident enough in his abilities to pay a transfer fee for someone who's basically more than likely just going to be a backup, whether it's a backup center back or, you know, backup left back. The team still paid a transfer fee for, for, you know, for a backup. So I, I would hope, you know, this is a team that at least for me uh, has shown a pretty, pretty solid track record with, with, uh, you know, with their incoming guys when, when they make, you know, significant or, or reasonably, um, a high financial decision, whether it's small transfer fee or whatever. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm hoping and I fully expect him at some point um, this season to, to definitely solidify him um, on the depth chart above, above lead. I just hope it happens, uh, you know, sooner than later. Cause again, if, if, if I see, if I see late on that starting 11 um, or being subbed in for whatever reason in, in a champions league game and in the later rounds, that's going to be a nightmare. Yeah, um, I guess we'll move on to something a bit more positive. I think uh, this was the last thing that kind of stood out from the uh, Tijuana 
Tijuana, oh dear. I mean, Atlantico. <laughs> Tijuana Tuesday never dies in Metro Fan TV. I'm sorry. Um, yeah, sorry. The last game against Atlantico Fentoa. I think one of the more interesting cameos off the bench was a certain man from the Bronx by the name of Omir Fernandez. And I think um, it was pretty exciting to kind of see like him named on the bench for this game because I think uh, it kind of does back up to me a lot of like what the buzz on him has been has been coming out of preseason right like you kind of gain a sense that this is a the newest like attacking homegrown that they seem very high on and it's very unusual i think to kind of see someone um make the first team 18 like straight out of like uh his uh straight out of signing a homegrown deal in his first year you know and i think there were a lot of little things that you could kind of see with Amir's game that kind of justified, I think, the uh, excitement that's been built up around him, right? I think you saw that nice little turn that he made into uh, getting the shot off, I think, uh, in around the 80th minute that almost resulted in, and he almost scored a goal, even, I think, uh, in, in coming on. So um, a lot of interesting questions related to wing depth, I think, with the inclusion of Omir Fernandez and Marcus Epps over Andreas Ivan and Derek Etienne, even though I do kind of understand that that was due to injury, but it's, it's, it's throwing out a lot of very interesting questions about who gets the minutes at the wide position this year. You know, I think um, you have Royer, who's kind of like the only nailed on starter in the 11 right now out wide. And for the other position, you have a, you have a mix of Velo, Muil, and now potentially Epps and Fernandez to kind of deal, deal with. And this throws up a lot of questions for him. Oh, and Andreas Ivan as well. So, so, I mean, like, that's... We're suddenly very deep out there at that wing position. So I think it's been... Flo- so I'm going to kind of guide discussion on this in two ways. Like, I'm going to ask you guys and how you kind of see the wing position shaping out as the season goes along. But then on top of that, if like you see a clear surplus of depth here at wing, would you, who would you potentially be most comfortable like trading to someone else to uh, fill a niche, to fill a gap in our roster elsewhere? I think like, you know, we clearly have players who have become trade bait with the emergence of a lot of these guys like this year. Right. So I don't know. I guess it's a very hazy picture out there in the wing, you guys. Anyone? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I guess, I don't know. Like you said, Danny Royer is probably like the only nailed on starter. And I'm fine with that. I like Danny Royer. I like watching him play. At the same time, he's also the oldest player we have playing in that position. And also, like you said, it's probably the easiest one to use as trade bait. So if we really did need to get something else to strengthen the squad, like, you know, a left back, um, (laughs) I feel like you would get the most value from moving on Danny Royer as much as I don't want to do it. I'm also going to throw it out there again that, you know, whatever league Danny Royer has played in, does (laughs) Vita from this league. And I bet you could trade Danny Royer to his Vita Bundesliga team and get like a real solid Vita Bundesliga fullback, which I know that some people in our fan base might be like, what the hell? But <laughs> no, it would be great. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, I wouldn't want to. I wouldn't want to move on. Wheel. I think Wheel is. Um, I'm so- sorry, Wheel haters, but you are ones who should be sorry because Wheel is great. Um, <laughs> I would want to move on. I think he's just he's solid, and I think he's going to only get better because he's still so young. And I think that we forget that because it feels like he's already been in this team forever. Um, I think Fernandez is going to be really exciting to see. I was really excited. Just a brief cameo I saw of him playing. That was literally the first time I've seen him play at all. Like I haven't watched like, you know, his videos on YouTube or whatever it is that y'all do every time we're linked to someone. <laughs> I, like, I, like, I like to be more of a surprise. It's like, I like it to be like, you know, my first time seeing them. It's like, you know, they're with our team and it's like, you know, you're seeing how they fit, but I thought he looked great. I'm really excited to see more of him. Um, yeah, no, it's it's tough. We have a lot of great guys in that position. Yeah, was, yeah for me, like, oh, was, oh, sorry. Oh, sorry, no, it was interesting because uh, this question was asked um, by Eric in the, uh, the the head coach podcast from the team, and Chris Chris answered it, and, and I thought it was interesting. He gave – he kind of ran down, like, what each player brings to the table, right? And then he kind of – mention how each of those things can play into uh, roster decisions in terms of like what team they're playing, uh, you know, what exactly you want to do on the day. So I'm, I'm curious to see how different Chris handles rotation versus Jesse last year. I don't, Jesse, a lot of times seem like it was kind of a, a, almost a systematic type of, of sub pattern. Like you kind of knew who was going to get subbed in around what times and whatnot. I'm not sure if Chris is the same way. He, sometimes he was kind of like that last, last year, but then other times he kind of threw a surprise, but with this, with this, with the congestion we're going to see now, I can see a lot of these guys getting their chance to prove themselves. Uh, I thought it was Really awesome that Fernandez, I'm pretty sure, is the first ever homegrown to make their professional debut in Champions League, which is like super fucking awesome if that is the case. I'm pretty sure it is. And I liked what I saw. Um, But I I think it's going to be interesting to see how this crop of guys are used during this heavy, you know, this heavy uh, uh, schedule coming up, assuming we make it, you know, deep into, into Champions League. I think what Chris is probably going to end up doing is rotating quite a bit between the uh, the wingers, not just to keep them as fresh as possible and and to you know whatever I forgot exactly how how he phrased it, but you know kind of thinking about the matchups and whatnot. But I could see it at, it being the thing where like after like two months or so, um, you kind of have a good idea of who really stepped up and who is definitely someone who's you know, trade bait, someone who you kind of just is just taking up a spot and you can let go of. I don't, I don't know if, if I'm convinced anymore that Royer's going to be gone this year. Um, only because I don't think, I don't think as deep as we are, I'm not quite sure we could, we have anyone on the wings who could do anything close to what Royer can, can do in terms of like just producing goals. He had 16 goals last year across all competitions. I don't know right now that we have a 16 goal winger to replace that now actually like um i'm gonna throw out this thing and you know like my galaxy brain proposition is is that it's actually matthias jorgensen whenever he decides to <laughs> yeah i, I was i was but, i would know i was actually gonna say that i was gonna say unless the idea is you we still haven't seen him play so when you hear 
when you hear Den- Dennis and Chris say that that they intend on him being like a right now player, meaning they play, they intend on giving him minutes, that could very well be someone who who they kind of force the team, we're well not force the team, but the team decides to uh, change their formation. Maybe they go to with with two pure strikers up top. If that's the case, you're you're going to drop one of the wingers. So that makes that that makes that that whole position, that whole battle between them even tighter. Um, and might make more guys kind of expendable. Uh, if he starts, you know, if they decide to do this and, and, and Matthias starts producing goals, well, maybe now you can you can sacrifice someone like Royer and let some of the other guys, you know, kind of step up. We're deep. I, I think it's way too early in the season, though, to kind of say who's going to kind of fall up on top and, and who, who might get traded. There's a lot of questions out there. You know, Royer looked great so far, but is he going to be consistent, you know, this year is, is he going to be able to physically handle it? Cause he has gotten hurt a couple of times. Um, we don't know what Matthias is going to actually bring to us. We don't even know how he's going to be used, how frequently he's going to be used. Um, Velo looked awesome so far in, um, in the few, uh, uh, the few games he's played with, um, you know, with Red Bull too. Um, so that's a big factor in there too. I mean, wheels been starting, but, I mean, it was Velo's spot beginning of you know, the first half of last year. If he picks up where he left off, that's his spot. He's starting. I, I can't – unless someone like Epps just starts blowing people's minds and then and, and he ends up taking his spot over, I don't see anyone taking Velo's spot once he's fully healthy. So, there, I don't know. There's just a lot of questions, a lot of things we have to see, and, and I think it's going to take a couple of – at least a couple of weeks, if not a couple of months, before we really start seeing things shake out as far as – uh, tactics and formation and positioning and and you know who's doing better than expected, who's not doing as uh, as good uh, as good as you hoped or expected, and you know before you start really seeing a lot of the lineup kind of shuffling around a little bit. You know, I think at the risk of sounding like a hedge fund manager, right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think um, we kind of live in very halcyon times right now, in the sense that there isn't. A position that's going for a larger premium on the market right now than young attackers with upside, right? I mean, we did recently just see a team complete a trade for Ethan Finley for $750,000 in allocation money, which makes, I think, so I've been kind of toying with this idea in my head is like, I think the trade bait actually isn't Danny Royer, but rather it's going to be someone like Derek Etienne. Yeah. You know, because I think you could potentially flash something to a team saying that this is a guy who can, who has the tools to be this really good flair player for you and potentially con like a team and giving us an additional international spot or some TAM, you know, to potentially bring in a reinforcement. So um, that's sort of like the thing that I'm kind of been floating here is that we trade Derek Etienne for either a player that helps us out somewhere, maybe an additional defender in the back or someone who gives us a vital asset, like an international spot. I mean, like you have a lot, this wealth of depth at this position is probably the team's biggest um, uh, asset in terms of potential trade proposition value because of all the young, like young guys with upside that they have at this position. And you're going to have to make room, I think, eventually for someone like, say, Ben Mines, who's kind of floating around in Red Bull 2. And you don't really do that more than trying to trade one of your already pre-existing homegrowns, potentially, for something to open up that roster spot as well. 
So it's sort of like one thing I've been kind of playing around in my yeah. head. And the, and the one thing that's and keep in mind too is uh, because he's still on on his on his original contract, whatever team he goes to, I'm ninety nine percent sure he keeps the homegrown status, which means he's not a hit on the salary cap. So that's another. Yeah, you know, it's another piece that I'm sure certain teams would would want to factor in the idea of getting, you know, a, a pretty pretty decent MLS level, um, a winger who's still young, who definitely has some upside, who, you know, maybe doesn't quite fit exactly how this team, uh, is is kind of building, but would still do pretty I think pretty pretty decent with with other teams, um, and he's and he's an American, so that's you know that's not an, an international spot that they have to. You know that they have to worry about filling. Is that a big, you know, big, a big time player, or whatever, in terms of you know salary and stuff? So, yeah, I, I feel, I think, I think I feel more confident that 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 Derek gets traded before Royer does. I mean, I literally forgot we had Derek Etienne Jr. until just now when you guys were like, <laughs> we should trade Derek Etienne Jr. I think I had blocked him from my mind for a variety of reasons. So, like, you've convinced me. Like, I changed my vote. I think we should trade Derek. <laughs> <laughs> i don't and i don't mean to sound once again i don't mean to sound mean because i don't think i'm actually a mean person but um i don't i think that what you said is true i don't think he quite fits the way we play i mean i think you saw at the usl level when he was playing for red bull too like he's a talented kid but i just think that he's plateauing right now with us because he just doesn't quite fit into the system and you know you can't just break the system for one guy because he was really good for you in the usl like it's probably it's better for everyone if he moves on to a team where he would really fit in much better yeah Yeah. my, my problem with Derek is that like he he's not good enough like he doesn't excel relative to to what we need and for for that role in that spot i feel like he doesn't like excel in anything in particular where you can be like okay, you know, we can build on this. Like Mwil, the dude is by far, in my opinion, the, 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 the best, the best guy for the press. He's awesome off the ball. Uh, his counter pressing is, is, is probably second to none of the team. Um, what he contributes uh, uh, directly and indirectly from that on the, on the attack and the transition, I think is great. So if you can now hone in on the more technical stuff, which we saw the second half of last year, then, then you can start saying, okay, wow. Okay. You know, this, this guy really has quite a few levels to, to, to improve on and he could really be uh, become a big piece of the team. I don't feel like I see that with, with Derek, like he's not a striker. Because he just he just doesn't have the finishing ability as a striker. We saw that when he was subbing in for for uh, for Bradley. Um, he's not that good in the press, so you kind of lose that. Now Royer isn't that good in the press either. He's not that good off the ball, but what he contributes, you know, when he pushes up and tucks in, almost like a, that, you know, almost like that second striker. I think completely makes up for it. But I don't see Derek really being able to fill that type of role either. So like. He's good one v one and stuff, but like there's just there's still, I feel like there's still like the like a missing piece where I can say that is the the either what he currently excels in or has the potential to excel in relative to the role that is needed for that position, and I think that's kind of the biggest problem for me with him. Yeah, you know, I mean, I'm kind of just to put a whole uh, bow on this a uh, bit. You know, I think it's true that. You know, we've been talking about him as being a guy with potential for like three or four years now, right? And there's a point in time where 
talk about potential just becomes talk about unrealized potential, you know, and I'm kind of on the same boat here, you know, and it really does feel like some guys just kind of plateau earlier in their careers than others and don't really show like enough of an improvement in a way of kind of making that next big step in your career. But, you know, it's perfectly fine that an Academy product comes in and becomes a vital squad player. But with how this team functions, I think, you know, like you can't really be a bit too married to certain guys um, being these kind of squad players, you know, like for a bit too long, because that blocks the next person who can potentially come into your first team and contribute something at that next level, you know, and I think you're starting to see it come to critical mass with both Marcus Epps and Omir Fernandez now coming in, you know, and I think that's sort of like what we kind of have to do here with Derek, you know, I think like it's perfectly fine for some of your homegrown Academy guys to simply become guys who you can trade off for other assets or certain like, um, or something to, to get something valuable back in the market, especially in something like MLS, you know, I mean, I wouldn't really consider it a failure by any means if we flip a homegrown for something for something of value elsewhere, you know, that's just contributing value in a different way, you know, and helping you get something from other teams that you need. And this is like where we talk about the different levels here, I think, with regards to what the homegrowns can potentially provide, you know, like not all of them are going to be blue chippers like Tyler Adams, you know, not all of them are going to be MLS like lifer starters like Sean Davis. Some of them will either be great squad players like Alex Mule. And some of them will be potentially really good trade bait like Derek Etienne, you know, and that's one thing that you're going to see, I think, as the system develops and goes along, as we become more, uh, more of a fully realized development team, is that you're going to start to see some of these guys draw that kind of value in the open market, you know, and that's a perfectly fine use of homegrown slots, you know. Um, I think I'm going to be moving on to the home leg now, I think uh, coming up this Wednesday. And it's going to be a cold one, ladies and gents. So uh, bundle up, get a hot coca and some empanadas at the stadium to warm you up. But uh, <laughs> Oh my God, I'm so excited to have empanadas again. <laughs> I mean, they have the special flower empanadas coming out for this game. That they with the, uh, the, the Dominican-themed empanadas with the um, pork and plantain, I believe. That sounds pretty... Oof pretty great like it's gonna be i wish i could be having one of those myself but um on top of i wish we could ship them to, i wish we could ship them to you but i don't know if they'd make it like you know i don't know if you'd want to eat them by the time they got there yeah, they probably like grow stale and they probably like get caught by customs and being like who is this person sending biological weapons through? Like, <laughs> 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 oh my god I don't mean, give anyone any ideas yeah <laughs> Like it'd be kind of You're gonna, Trump, Trump's going to hear this and be like, "Shit, we got to build the wall like double time now." <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we we're going to be like, "Oh no!" Like, wouldn't it be a tragedy if an empanada caused like a spore or a pollen outbreak that ended up killing half the trees in this country? Like, that'd just be awful, awful PR. I think. Um, I hope that Breesauce is listening to this conversation. They're going to uh, be like, "What are you guys doing?" Just send spore yeah. empanadas to the White House and call it a day. Oh, no. Yes! <laughs> I'm a fan. I also hope the Secret Service isn't listening to this conversation. They can suck no, okay. my ass. That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was going to say, I don't think we've been put on a list yet, but I think after this episode, we definitely are. So uh, welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the last episode of the Welcome Rundown. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it was me. I killed it. <laughs> <laughs> 
No, but uh, um, I'm, I'm going to guide discussion, I think, on this um, segment with a question from a long time from our friend Bill Reese. Uh, considering the relative weakness of Pantoa, would it make sense to play a mixed A slash B team in the second leg against Pantoa and then field some regular starters on the road in Columbus? A B plus team, if you will. And this is, I think, kind of uh, what... Fernando was talking about earlier with regards to squad rotation, right? Where you kind of start to see if Chris Armis will manage this in a different way than Jesse Marsh did. Because I think what we saw under Jesse last year is that you kind of see very clear A team and very clear B team, you know, and you very rarely see a mixture of the two. And it's something that I kind of uh, was a proponent of introducing a bit more was maybe like an A2 squad where you had a nice mix of first team regulars and reserves. But, you know, I like, I think considering the strength of the opposition here, like, I think we could get away with even fielding like a complete reserve squad, reserve side, because our B options are really, really good, you guys, where they, our P options are capable of skinning like senior MLS sides. We saw that last year with the, the Portland game. We saw that last year with the fact that even though they lost 4-3 in Orlando away, they they sent a B-minus team with Aurelian Collin and Tommy Redding starting at center back and still managed to score three goals. Like, that's pretty great, like, no matter which way um, you shake it. So... I think to kind of act, like to kind of open like discussion on this question, like I could see us getting away with sending out the B team, you know, like get some of those guys like n- like an early amount of competitive reps in that they might be finding hard to get like as the season goes along. You know, I think I'd like to maybe see like uh, you know I'd like to see someone throw out maybe Marcus Epps. I'd like to see maybe Omir get his first start. Maybe I'd like to see um, you know someone like. Amro Tarek or Kyle Duncan get maybe like 60 or 90 minutes, you know, like I think that'd be sort of like, um, it'd be a good opportunity to kind of see like how prepared your B team is, because I think there'll be too many, there, there are a lot of things going on in your favor here at this home tie against Pantoa. And that's the fact that a, like, um, they're not used to the cold at Red Bull arena and it might be snowing slightly. And B, um, the fact that, um, you know, I think, you have a really big cushion to work with here and considering like two away goals is not insignificant. So I think you could probably get away with sending out some kind of a mixed lineup. So um, I don't know. Like, what do you guys think? I would love to see more of the the B team guys. Um, I don't think you want to throw out like, you know, an entire team of reserves just because, then you risk falling into that that trap where you know you look like you're disrespecting the opposition, then you get burned. Um, I mean, but I would love to see, um, like you said, I think getting to see someone like Epps or getting to see more from Ivan, getting to see more from basically the newer guys who we just haven't seen a lot of yet. Um, give them a chance to get some minutes under their belts. So we can see what they're made of. And that gives us an idea of what we've got moving forward into the actual season. I mean, as far as, you know, like the Columbus game beyond that, like, I know we don't have to deal with Greg Berhalter's like weird fucking tactical voodoo that always fucks us up every time anymore. But like, for like your first game of the season on the road, I'd rather have the, I'd rather have a strong squad. 
Yeah, I'm I'm 100 percent behind you on that, Lee. So for me, it's it's like you don't want to come off as disrespectful in two different ways. One, just the optics of it, right? Like it just doesn't. You you walk in there and they know that that you know you just trotted out an entire you know entirely rotated lineup. Sometimes that's just enough uh, disrespect to kind of energize a team for an upset. And let's be honest. A Dominican team beating the New York Rebels would not be anywhere near the top hundred biggest upsets in, in in the history of this wonderful sport. So I don't want to test fate. Um, and then, but it's also just you know it's just kind of disrespectful in a way where it it plays away from what the team has been saying. How they've got into this with nothing but respect for the team, and no matter you know all of these teams are champions in some way, right? This isn't the MLS playoffs where some fucking shit. You know, six, seventh place teams somehow manage to squeeze through the playoffs and and go on some bullshit run. No matter what the level is for all of these all these teams, respective to their country, they're all champions of something. So there's a, there's there's some level of, of of decent quality, and you have to respect that. You have to respect the, the competition. So two away goals is fucking awesome. That's a huge comfort. But I would feel comfortable if we still kept. I think the majority of of our a side that being said if 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 you drop a goal early on or better then maybe you start thinking about making very very early subs maybe you know start of the second half you pull two guys off or you pull a guy off 60th minute you pull someone else off like just you know make an early rotation and kind of just pull those starters off and 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 just now you get a chance to to kind of exercise eps or ivan or or, who, or whoever else but I, I want us to go into this competition, um, no matter who the opponent is, as best as we can, while also understanding that we do have games coming up. So I, I don't I don't feel I don't feel comfortable with with just saying you know throwing caution in the wind and saying fuck it just you know rotate half the guys just because we have Columbus going on. Columbus doesn't scare me anymore. If I'm being honest, because Greg is no longer there. We don't like like Lee said, we don't have that weird fucking voodoo that Burhalter would somehow manage to pull out of his ass that would make us just just look like shit sometimes. You know? So I feel comfortable that if we just do what we have to do um on Wednesday, we can still go into the game on on, on Saturday um with a pretty strong lineup. And the other thing too is we kind of have an edge, right? We've played more competitions, we've uh we've played more. Uh, in preseason than Columbus have. We're, we'll, we'll walk into there with two uh, with two very meaningful games going into that game. And sometimes just kind of the the psychology of that plays into it where you can walk into saying, like, this isn't the first game of our season. We're, this is our third game. You know, so sometimes the little mental edges like that can go a long way to to kind of push guys, even if, let's say, they played on Wednesday or whatever. So, yeah, I want to see I want to see an A- minus B-plus team. Yeah, I I, I guess that's kind of what I was trying to uh, think of, I think, uh, when it came to this idea of playing the reserves, you know, like maybe I'd like to see three or four guys like um, rotated into the regular lineup. I mean, one of the guys who I thought would have been really fun to deploy in this game would have been Matty Jorgensen, but unfortunately it doesn't really seem like he'll be ready in time to uh, play on Wednesday. Um, I think... um, but I think uh, the other thing, like with regards to the home leg for me, that was kind of, that kind of came up uh, in my research for this um, show, is that you know every once in a while, every once in a blue moon, an interesting take will come from Extra Time Radio, and uh, this <laughs> time, 
uh, there's this idea of like considering the fact that Amir is on a yellow card, right, from his uh, booking against uh, Pento in the first leg. You know, like, do, like I think this interesting idea got thrown out is like, do you sit Amir with the full knowledge that he that a yellow card in this tie means that he misses the first leg on the against Santos Laguna, like? Um, to try and make sure that he at least gets to play um, the first game against Santos, you know. And we do have a very capable backup, I think, in Kyle Duncan, who would be one of the better options, you know. Like if you, it's a, it's an absolute luxury in MLS to have a fullback, the quality of Kyle Duncan, just kind of sitting on the bench behind Amir, like to having that to throw out, like potentially in a slight rotation against Pantoa. So. Um, I'm going to throw it out like to you guys. Like, Do you think that that might be a possibility? I certainly think it's a very interesting proposition. I think that would be great. Um, I mean, I loved what we were seeing of Kyle Duncan last year before he got injured. That was just, you know, that was just such a shitty thing that happened. Like, he was, that was like shaping up to be like a really exciting player for us. And then, you know, it was, it was all too brief. Um, so I'm really excited to see more of him this year. And I would rather put him out for this game at home than to throw him out against Santos in Mexico. Yeah, I'm. It's weird because like he, I don't think yellow cards reset at any point. And I'm sorry, Mir's going to get another yellow. I don't think there's a question about that. <laughs> there's no way he goes to rest his competition without a yellow. So part of it feels like you know what, fuck it, just like put him out there, let him get a yellow this game. And let him miss the first the first leg. On the flip side, missing the first leg might not be good because if that's away, we probably want to be as solid defensively as we possibly can. But at the at, at the same time, the way it looks, um, I mean, unless we just absolutely route uh, we route them on on Wednesday, it's looking like we're going to be the first leg. So maybe it does make sense to just put him out there, let him get the yellow, miss the first leg at home where we usually do pretty well and and, and we could probably, you know, kind of handle that and, and get a really good result and then have him back for the away leg. I, I don't know. I mean, I want Duncan um I want Duncan though to get to get some 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 solid minutes. Uh if 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 not this game, then maybe he starts on Saturday and and he does really well and we maybe we start seeing a transition. Uh, transition for Duncan. My hot take going into this season, though, is going to be Duncan is going to take over Amir's position before the end of like April. Wow. Okay. Well, that's a that's a bold one. I think personally, I think. Um, but um, all right. So I guess we'll uh, move into a, a prediction for the home leg. And I'm gonna. Nothing has changed for me on this um, front especially if we throw out the first team lineup, you know, I expect three goals to be the baseline, especially now that we're playing at home at Ripple arena. And, uh, you know, I think I'm going to throw out the same challenge I threw out last week, like a uh, three goals is the borderline level of satisfaction that I'm going to set. If we throw out the first team lineup, um, that I'm going to subject to change if we decide to rotate a little bit, but yeah, if I see the first, if I see the full 11, I expect a three and one at minimum. Yeah, I feel like 3-0 is the thing, the scoreline I was thinking of in my head. I mean, 
I wouldn't, I, in my, I don't even consider that the bare minimum. I consider that like, I'd be really happy, but I haven't watched this team play soccer regularly in a really long time. So any kind of win with a clean sheet, uh, sounds fucking wonderful. Um, I mean, if you want to throw in more than three, that's cool, but I feel comfortable with three. So I like to be comfortable. Yeah. I think, um, I think it kind of depends on what, on, on how they go into the game as far as like lineup, whatever. But I can see like a four-one win. I don't know why. I can just see like some weird free goal kind of, kind of happening. Um, There'll be a penalty. Yeah, yeah, there's, yeah, that's right. There's always a penalty, right? You got to always got to factor that in. There's fucking Concacaf after all, dude. I mean, especially um, with how fucking shit that referee was in that first leg. I mean, oh my god, oh, I, I that hated so that bad. fucker. Seriously, my god. I hated the ref and I hated the guy who was doing commentary on fucking Yahoo. <laughs> yeah. Like. I was just mad, even though we were winning the game. Like I was just like, this is just making me really angry. Literally, you are trying to fucking you're trying to fucking ruin this experience to be watching the Red Bulls play for the first time. <laughs> and like, oh, like, what the fuck? Yeah, I mean, like literally, the only nice thing he had to say about our team was Kaku is magic, and that was it. Like, <laughs> which was great to be fair. Like when I heard him say that, I did like I heard like the choirs of angels, yeah. like you know, being like. Oh, yes, he is indeed very magical. Um, I feel like that should be like a, like a logo with like a rainbow or something like Kaku is magic. I'm thinking of My Little Pony, aren't I? That's why I'm thinking of Friendship is Magic, and I'm like associating that with Kaku. Oh, my God. The new movie. I mean, I can see it. I can see Kaku as an animated pony. He's got that like happy vibe. My little like... DP, my little DP. <laughs> <laughs> nah, fuck that <laughs> This is me singing to My Little Pony theme song, and it's not even 9.30 in the morning here yet. So there you go, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for tuning in and hearing me sing My Little Pony. Um, this is what this <laughs> podcast is to me. Um, so yeah, I think we're all in agreement. We expect some variation of a three-goal win. So now we will move our attention towards the MLS regular season. That's right, folks. We're back. The grind is on, and it begins in Columbus, Ohio this year. I think we'll kind of start off by congratulating Columbus and their massive success with the Save the Crew movement. I think that was a really cool moment for the team, you know, like seeing um, grassroots um, grassroots organization among supporters of the team, keeping the team in Ohio. You know, I think, like, we can't overstate, like, what just a massive moment that means for soccer in this country, I think... Uh, even though we don't really like to delve into like this whole uh, nation, this, this, the state of uh, health, the state of soccer in this country a bit too much, I really do have to say that that was just an awesome moment all around. They managed to keep the team. So congratulations, crew fans, and saving the crew and keeping your team in Columbus. Um, so now we'll move on to trashing your team. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> just joking. Um, Columbus, actually, um, when you talk about teams that managed to stay relatively intact from last year you know i think um you do have to throw columbus in there you know i think uh, not a lot of you know super significant moves i would say their biggest loss of course was losing old greg to the u.s men's national team and uh mm -hmm. you know i think like burhalter was kind of like this uh boogeyman in the closet for a lot of red bull fans in the past right like like you guys have mentioned many times, you know, like you just find a way to coach his team to just pass perfectly around the press. You know, I think seeing that last year, seeing how effortless they looked in switching the field of play when we went to go play them in the regular season last year with a rotated lineup. I mean, that was some hoodoo shit. 
And then them coming to Red Bull <laughs> Arena and dropping three goals in the first half. I mean, like, um, that's probably been their most significant loss. But kind of compounding that as well is that, you know, they would have kept their first choice 11 going into the season from last year if Milton Valenzuela didn't go down to a torn ACL in preseason. And that's a massive loss for them considering how, uh, how much, you know, they like to get width from their fullbacks pushing high up the field. So, but even with the loss of Valenzuela, you know, I think um, looking at um, your lineup, you know, I think I maybe, maybe I'm not quite as with you guys in this idea that Columbus aren't going to be as big a threat this year because they still do have a very solid defensive spine, in my opinion. You know, I think you can't take away the fact that Jonathan Mensah and Lala Sabubakar and Lala Sabubakar is about as good a center back pairing as you're going to see across the league. And Harrison Awful has been probably one of the best right backs in the league for years now, right? So this is a team that definitely has a fair bit of pedigree. And then you look at elsewhere in the field and you still have that solidarity in the center with Will Trapp and Archer next to him, you know, like that's a pretty, that's been a pretty good center field pairing. And of course, you know, Pipa Higuain is always going to be kind of dangerous on the field. You know, like the guy ages like a fucking fine wine. Like I think to a degree, like Burhalter Matt. Is he like 45 now? Like I don't even, <laughs> yeah. I feel like he's been around forever. <laughs> to be fair, I would also believe that his brother is like 45. I think they both just also like age very strange. <laughs> his brother has somehow managed to age worse than he has. So I got to say. Like, it's like reverse. It's like, it's like they are the Dorian Gray paintings of themselves. Yeah. <laughs> and then somewhere out there, there are like really young, attractive Iguahines running around. Yeah. I mean, I mean, like, maybe it's a thing where Pipa, like, siphons off, like, more and more of Gonzalo's talent as the year goes on. So that's how uh, Gonzalo goes from playing for Juventus to playing for Chelsea. So, um, (laughs) (laughs) but, um, you know, I think um, the big wild card here for Columbus, I think, going into this game is going to be Caleb Porter. You know, I think you can't deny the fact that um, you're, I'm not really sold on, I don't think Porter is going to set up his team to play the same way as Burhalter did, I think. So that's kind of going to be one of the bigger question marks going into this game is do we see some kind of new identity from Columbus um, that differentiates itself from what we saw under Greg Burhalter, which is namely like a lot of possession out the back and really good build-up play that emphasized a lot in switching the field fields of play at all costs, you know, and I think uh, looking at Caleb Porter's record as a coach, you know, like I think he emphasizes a lot of defensive solidarity, which really works into um, Columbus's whole defense first philosophy that we saw last year. And I want to point out to you guys that um, this was one of the best defenses in the league last year, you know, like in terms of both goals allowed and expected goals allowed. So it's not like they were really outperforming their metrics or anything. Um, so I think the book on Columbus is kind of going to be the same a bit this year, like hard to beat, but not really much into ways going forward. I think it really is a big question mark on this Columbus team about who scores the goals on this squad, because I don't really think Caleb Porter gets a 19 goal season out of Gassi Zardes. Like, I'm going to be real view like up there and there. So, yeah, I mean, like a lot of intriguing things going on along here and I think a lot of it depends on what lineup we throw out against Columbus so um, I'm going to throw it over to you guys like uh, general feelings on uh, the uh, regular season opener going in 
I mean, I overall feel pretty good. I mean, like, you know, like I said, it's Columbus, which is not, you know, always historically a fun place for us to go. But without Burhalter there, I feel a little bit better. I mean, Caleb Porter, like my predominant memory of Caleb Porter at any given time is when he coached the MLS All-Star team and like pissed off Pep Guardiola <laughs> because the MLS All-Stars were like beating up on Bayern Munich, which of course, you know, I thought was fucking awesome. But like, um, and then Pep was so mad that he wouldn't shake Caleb Porter's hand and Caleb Porter was like chasing him around the field, like waving his hand at him. So like every time I see him, I just think of that moment and it's just very hard for me to take him seriously. Um even as much as I also enjoyed that moment because I fucking hate Pep Guardiola more than like any other coach and stuff. I mean, that was, but <laughs> yeah, no. Um, so I don't know. Like, I don't think it's going to be an easy game. Like, I don't think we're going to walk over them. I mean, like you said, there's still have a lot of really talented guys on the squad. And I mean, Caleb Porter isn't like totally incompetent. So, I mean, I feel like a nice two, one win would be a really good way to start the season in my yeah. book. Yeah, I mean, Columbus definitely has a good team. I, I, I don't think anyone can take take away, uh, you know, how talented a roster, the roster is. Um, I just think Columbus is a fucking like fraud. I, he's he's a fraud. He he like shit posts himself yeah. into the fucking MLS Cup a couple times, and like, you know, people want to put him on this fucking pedestal of of being great, a great coach. He fucking sucks. He's a bum. He's a fraud. Fuck you, Porter. Um, oh. They don't scare me. Uh, and, you know, <laughs> hooray for I'm, I'm genuinely like happy for Columbus that they did what they, you know, what they were able to do. I, I do think that's an awesome story. Um, that whole thing was just absolutely fucking disgusting. And shame on all those goddamn vultures who were involved with that shit. But um, yeah, I, I'm not. I'm definitely nowhere near as 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 scared. You know, going against Columbus uh, that I that I that I was in the past. Um, even though they do have a good a good record, just because, like you said, I, I don't think I don't think the team's going to play the same way. The reason why Columbus was, you know, why, why they were as good as they were against us was because of Burhalter. It wasn't just the guys they had, you know, they had on on, on the field. I mean, their their rosters changed quite a bit over the years from 2015 up, and every single year they they gave us a good game. You know, there were always one of the teams that 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 really brought it to us. Um, and that's because of, that was because of Burhalter, not just because of the roster. So you take away those, you take away the guy at, 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 at the, the, the top of, of the tactics of which kind of picked apart the press and, and, and the best possible way. I, I still don't think there's a team that was able to just not just bypass the press cheat, you know, by playing cheap fucking, you know, direct nonsense, uh, uh, but actually just tactically dismantle the press as well as, as Burhalter did. So with him not being there, I, I I have to see. I have to be given a reason now to be to still be worried about Columbus. So I'm just going into Saturday, shrugging my shoulders. I fully expect to win because um, regardless, I think we're definitely going to be a better team, whether it's player to player, coach to coach, whatever. So I, I'm hoping we go in there with like a solid, you know, a solid two nothing road win to to start the MLS season. And, uh, you know, I think, like, uh, I'm going to shift the discussion a bit, actually, because, like, I think I'm, I'm, I'm going to wonder – I'm going to push a hashtag narrative here. And, uh, <laughs> 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 no, but like uh, coming, coming into this game from our point of view, like I do wonder if there's like some degree of strength and familiarity with the opponent here, you know? Cause I mean, like there is, I don't think there's a team in the Eastern conference that had as little turnover 
in your starting 11 as much as Columbus have, you know, like for the most part, like prior to the Valenzuela injury, like they would have had returned their full starting 11 from last year, you know, and I don't think that that's not insignificant because I mean, Armis has determined a way, I think, to beat them. And we showed that in the playoffs where the stakes mattered most, I think. So I kind of do carry that confidence going in that Chris Armis has kind of done his homework on this Columbus side. Um, it's just how that Columbus side mashes at the way Caleb Porter might want them to play. It's kind of like the differentiating point for me. So I think um, like I'm just kind of, I'm a hashtag tweeting through it with this a little bit, I think, but <laughs> yeah, I mean, like I really do gain the sense that like on, on the one hand, like, you know, I think it, it can't be overstated. Like this is a, an opponent that we're still pretty familiar with and an opponent that we have a formula of knowing how to beat. We deploy our starting 11, right? So, um, and, and real real quick to add to that, not only do we, not only do we know their roster, right? Obviously the tactics may very well change, but the team knows very well the players and their strengths or weaknesses, what they can do, what they can't do. This is, Porter's the one coming to a whole new team at a whole different conference. He's moving in from the Western Conference to the Eastern Conference. So he's not that familiar with our guys because he would only have to play us once a year. So he, whereas we've seen, you know, the Columbus players at least twice a season, pretty much every single year. So there's, you know, a slight advantage with that also. Yeah. No, I mean, definitely. I mean, I mean, the way it goes for me is that I think, um, Porter's still going to have to have some time to figure out what his guys are capable of doing and how they kind of fit. I mean, like the buzz coming out of preseason for them is that he kind of wants to shift a team to a higher press and uh, with less like um, build up out the back, like you saw under Burhalter, and uh, more attacking third possession while playing a high press. So basically, he's promising pep ball which i think is kind of stupid but whatever man i mean like float, float, <laughs> float your clearly not getting to shake hands with him has had a has had a major effect on his yeah. psyche <laughs> can you, you you let guardiola occupy all this space inside your head rent free like caleb like come on dude like that's whack bro like but we, this hasn't exactly been the first time we've seen a coach say that they want to play pressing soccer and kind of Looking at the roster, I'm not really sure if you have the personnel to do that. I mean, like, Higuain is kind of a... I mean, like, Higuain's not really known for his uh, physical um, ability up front. I mean, yeah, I mean, he's 34 (laughs) fucking years old. I mean, like, Jesus Christ. We thought Sasha was washed, and he was, like, 32. And they're definitely, like, about the same in terms of mobility. So that's going to kind of be the interesting one here. Like, I, 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 I would find it hilarious if, like, he Friedel's himself in this game. (laughs) <laughs> truthfully promising to play a high press yeah. soccer and just completely like murking himself as he realizes his roster is a complete mismatch. So um, considering I think maybe the potential unfamiliarity that the new manager is going to have of his roster, I can see us pulling out a win if we go out in a day and execute like we know we can, because I do think that this team as it currently stands has more chemistry with each other playing in a system than Columbus does in this iteration. So that's kind of going to be our edge going into the season. So, yeah, I think I've talked myself into it. I can see us bagging a win on the road, and I think that would be really nice. Yep. Um, so I'm going to talk about expectations as a whole, I think, for the MLS season as a whole. And I think um, 
I solidly have us pinned as a contender for all five trophies this year. You know, I think I, I don't, I don't really <laughs> see a reason for us to have dropped off. I mean, I know Tyler Adams is a massive um, loss, but we mitigate massive losses by we we mitigated this massive loss to degree by bringing in his top understudy, right? Like, I mean, we can't we can't gloss over the fact that Riza is a perfectly capable replacement, even though he's not a like for like replacement, you know, because I think he is going to, he brings this dimension. He brings a different dimension in the team. That's going to kind of, I think maybe even a bit more in line with Chris Armis's philosophy of trying to introduce a bit more possession based sets with his passing ability. Like I think we mentioned at the top of the episode. And, you know, I think like if you compare us to the rest of the Eastern conference, you know, I think like we have, emerged relatively unscathed in terms of all the roster turnover that other teams have been seeing, you know, and I think there is, you know, like, I think, you know, I, I do get it from some people, like there are people who think that we're being a bit stagnant and there's a bit of discomfort that stems from the fact that other teams have, have tried to make improvements to their roster while we like quote unquote haven't done as much. And I do disagree on that because I don't think it's insignificant that we brought in Tam level depth striker while resigning our back four. And it doesn't take away from the fact that we might see internal development from guys who were on the roster last year again, because this is a very young roster and the age curve generally swings in the direction of seeing a lot of guys potentially have the jump to making improvements as players on a year by year basis. So I think with that in mind, like, you know, I strongly have us pinned once again as being contenders for every trophy in front of us this season. I don't really see a reason for us to be to have dropped off from last year. I don't see a, a massive incidence where we lose the big the, the player that holds the system together as well as the manager who executes the system like Atlanta did. That so like I mean like I'm gonna be real like I think I would be very disappointed if this team doesn't contend for trophies this year. And you know I think I would be kind of disappointed if we don't bring home a trophy this year. Considering how deep we are, the additions we've made at A to depth, up and down to roster, that's your difference maker, right? It's going to be your depth players, if you ask me, and your and your role players in MLS. So, yeah, I mean, I don't really see a reason for us not to be contending for trophies this year, guys. Like, I'm going to throw expectations for the season over to you guys. I mean, I think we're going to win at least one trophy if not more trophies. <laughs> I feel incredibly, com- I actually, I feel like incredibly confident this season and I haven't really felt that way before in the past. I just, I don't see any reason to not feel incredibly te- like confident. Um, I think that we've got a great group of guys who are very talented. Um, we have kept most of them. Yes. We, like you said, we lost one, but I think we've replaced them in the best possible way. We've got a lot of young, exciting guys waiting in the wings um, I'm excited to see what they'll do. You never know which one of them could become like the next Tyler Adams type hot young thing. Um, I just think that there's so much to look forward to. I'm excited for Armis to have a whole season to show what he can do as the head coach. I think that even though, you know, we always talk about the system, he's also not the exact same guy as Jesse. And I think that with a whole season of him in charge, we're going to, you know, see a few different things that, you know, maybe that'll be what finally makes the difference and gets us MLS cup. And even if it doesn't and we get another trophy, then I don't care. Cause it's a trophy. Yeah. I mean, I think that's, that's, I, I don't know. I, I, 
because we haven't won a cup in in yeah whatever year twenty four years, I, I I understand the angst with with a lot of the fan base, but at the same time, you know this is this isn't baseball, this isn't football, this isn't hockey where there's really just one one piece of silverware, right? This is soccer, and and there's multiple competitions, there's multiple trophies that you can play for every single year. You can argue the the importance of each all you want, that's fine. But they're all important to some degree. So whether it's a Shield again, it's the MLS Cup, it's the U.S. Open Cup, or Champions League, winning either one of those is significant. So of those four, I I honestly see all of those being completely viable. I don't see why we wouldn't be able to to win the Shield again this year. Um, Atlanta is a good team again this year. I'm I'm sure they're going to do okay. I mean, maybe they drop a little bit, but I don't I don't see their changes elevating them above what we were last year and we were better than last year. Um, the cup is a shit show. It is every fucking goddamn year. The <laughs> rules seem to change every two fucking years anyway. So kind of who gives a shit, but with the rule changes, if anything, it's kind of in our favor because you know, if we do finish on top, that means all of the playoff games are at home and we are unbelievable at home. And I don't see why that would change. So that becomes even uh, even more attainable, I think, than it has in the past. U.S. Open Cup, I think we have the best depth in the league because our it's not just our top half that I think is very good. Our bottom half of our lineup, I think, is very, very good. Our our Rebel 2 team basically just like just drew against Portland. I think it was. was It was Portland, right? 2-2? Two, two? Uh, yeah. Oh, was. yeah, yeah. No, that was so, I mean, I know they didn't have their, their full, 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 full starting 11, but they had quite a few starting starting guy uh, starting players on the team. Well, so, wait, hold up. I am going to Friedlander you in this one because uh, in that first half when huh. Red Bull Two went up two nil, it was against their full eleven that they usually trot out like week in week out. Like that was their full eleven. So, so, they, I mean, so there you go. I mean, it, it's a preseason game, but still, I think that just shows that we have, you know, partially because of the system we have we have in play. It just makes it easier for our, for for our deaf guys to kind of just plug in and do and and just just do well. They're set up to succeed in a better way. So, I think we have the depth to to, to handle you know like we did last year, the regular season. I think we can definitely do a really good U.S. Open Cup run. Um, and then there's Champions League. Champions League is tough, man. We're going against the best the best teams in 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 uh in the confederation. It's it's you can't guarantee, but I do think that we have a team that can win it. So my expectations is at least one trophy again, but I do think we can we can definitely walk out with two or maybe three or even more or even more. Um, what I what makes me feel better this year though about last year is the depth because if you think about our depth last year, a lot of those guys kind of like didn't really fit. So Cutler was a wash. Um, Colin after the Columbus game, I mean he didn't even play again because he just no. Um, Redding basically retired halfway into the season to play video games. Um, <laughs> Fidel, I think, deserved more minutes, but maybe there was something that we didn't see. But I don't think he fit as well as maybe we kind of hoped. Um, but he was still pretty solid. Um, Big Haas never really played for the first team outside of uh, outside of the, uh, the U.S. Open Cup. Um, and then Anatole was basically watching, you know, cartoons somewhere in like Romania. So like. If you look at a lot of guys that we lost, and then you think about the guys that we brought in, Arrow's a better center back depth just from the physical standpoint, just from the basic attributes that he that he puts in. So if we have to rotate him, even if he still has to kind of learn the tactics, 
just having him on the field instead of Colin by default makes it a better a better depth option. Same thing with uh, with um, with uh, what's his name uh, with like Omar Fernandez for example. I would rather see him being trotted out there than than maybe you know Cutler because you know or or uh, Amro coming in as a left back instead of Cutler or Duncan. We have Duncan back. Like we just I feel like we just have a, a healthier stronger team this year going into the year than we did last year. So I, maybe that depth is what allows us to maybe you know, beat Orlando instead of losing four to three in, in that kind of game. Or, you know, when Jesse decided to rotate the entire lineup for a midweek game against Seattle and and and, and ro- put a rotate a lineup uh, in a knockout game for the U.S. Open Cup, maybe if Chris decides to do that, we just have a fundamentally better team in that rotated lineup against, you know, uh, in the U.S. Open Cup where we can come out with a better result. So I, I feel good. I, I think we have – I think we have a better team. You know, people complained last year, you know, what happens if Bradley goes down? We don't have, you know, we don't, we don't have solid depth. Well, they just spent two and a half million dollars on an 18 year old from Europe to not just be his depth, but potentially, you know, plays plant himself in, in, into, uh, into a strong position. So across all the positions, I think we're better than we were last year. And last year we were the best team in MLS history. So my, that's my expectations. Yeah. I think it kind of gets, oh, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, I'm trying to pinpoint in my head why I think that these new guys just seem more exciting this year than in previous years. Like the guys who are, you know, like, you know, you were saying the depth and why it feels like our depth is so much stronger. And in my head, I'm like, but why do I think that? (laughs) But there's just something like there's just something about like, you know, a guy like Omir that just I'm really excited about him. Um, You know, I'm more excited about him than I ever was about someone like, I don't know, Cutler or a bond. Because I think these guys, like they at least on the surface in terms of like their skill sets of what you can see and what we know they can bring in, just fit better. Like we have a deeper team with guys who fit than we did last year. We had a lot of decent guys last year in the depth. We proved it. But again, not having Colin as like that center back depth instead of having, you know, instead of having a guy like Amaro, I think is significant. That's a I think just from the standpoint of what they bring uh, uh, in terms of their skill and their ability and, and, and their attributes is just a better option and just kind of makes you feel better. Like if you repeat that Columbus game where we lost three to two and you take Colin out of that game and you put and you put uh, Amaral, I think everyone would, would have felt way more comfortable from the start of that game and we probably would have done better to begin with. Yeah, to kind of add on, I'm trying to just trying to wrap up, I think, discussion on season expectations here. Uh, before we move on to the mailbag, um, I'm going to go with you guys in this one because I think what kind of gets overlooked in all the chaff that you see in RBNY Twitter, what gets overlooked is that we ended up setting a points record in a season where we lost five or six guys to season-ending injuries. What other team in the league is going to do that without their starting right winger? without two or three important depth pieces to rotate in, playing a full schedule. Like, I think we can emphasize, like, how crazy that is. If it was in a year like 15 or 16 where we lost five or six guys to season-ending injuries, we would have limped to the finish line. But instead, like, in the second half of last year, like, we got shit done, and it resulted in us bringing home our third trophy in club history with five or six guys out for the season. And a seventh guy in Colin practically out for the season because he sucked. 
So, I mean, like, <laughs> like, like, there you you basically have it. I mean, like, I think that's what gets kind of overlooked. You know, I think I'm with you guys on that one. Like, we are a stronger, healthier team top to bottom this year. And I'm with you guys. Like, look, I mean, this is, this makes a difference at the end of the day when it comes to contending for trophies. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, there you go. I mean, so I had a thought, but I lost it. So I'm just going to leave it there. Um. Yeah, I still can't believe that we went on to finish strongly and win the shield the way we did and set a points record after losing below. Because like, you know, the year before we lost Royer, like in like sort of similar, you know, circumstances where you felt like that was the turning point of the season. And like, we were just fucked. Like we just didn't know how to fill that gap. <laughs> yeah. And um, it fucking sucked. It fucking track at fucking Yankee Stadium. Yeah, um, fuck Yankee Stadium. <laughs> fuck Yankee Stadium. But, um, but yeah, the fact that, like, you know, I'm not saying that, you know, Velo is invaluable. He was incredibly valuable to us before he got injured. He was looking like he was going to be, like, our, you know, breakout player of the season. Uh, he was – looked so great. Um, but we were able to come back from that. And I think that we're in an even better position to deal with those kinds of injuries this year. So I see no reason to not feel good. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, okay. I guess um, that's going to be the last shot that we get in on season expectations, I guess. Um, so, cause we want to move on to what is a very fun and a very full mailbag <laughs> this week. Um, so uh, before we begin this section, I think on behalf of everyone here, we're going to do something different with tonight's 69 tweet. And that is, we want you yeah. to tweet 69 to Brian Singer or Peter Farrelly, because fuck those yes. guys. Okay. Fuck those guys. <laughs> they made bad movies. And also, Brian Singer is a pedophile oh, piece yeah. of shit. Yeah, okay. Brian Singer is a pedophile piece of shit, and Peter Farrelly, like, whips out his dick at people, like, on film sets. So, like, yeah, they're both creepy perverts who made bad movies, and I just don't think they deserve to have peace on social media this week. Yeah, exactly. So, tweet 69. Yeah, we're being toxic. Hello. Hi. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, so now getting that out of the way, uh, we like to thank everyone for sending in a question as usual. Uh, these are all very fun and very wonderful. So we're going to start with a question from the energy drink soccer shows ben mine stan shout out to the newest entrant in the rbny podcast wars may the odds be forever in your favor he asks don't you want the odds to be in your favor um the odds are always in our favor man because i stack the deck you make your own luck um so he asks, would you rather fight one RZA-sized cat or 10 cat-sized RZAs? Um, I think this is going to be a controversial one. I'd fight one RZA-sized cat because <laughs> you can, you can, you can, you can placate cats pretty easily. You know, I mean, they're very easy to please creatures. Just leave like a bowl of water out and some food and give them some belly rubs from now and then and they'd be fine like you don't even need to fight a cat to bring it under your control man you just got to treat it with kindness like come on now guys like i'd fight a cat need i'd fight a rizzo-sized cat any day of the week can you imagine i mean I, I basically live with a rizzo-sized cat i mean you know how <laughs> he's actually he's literally he's sitting next to me all snuggled up right now and he's like oh, taking up as much space on the couch as i do 
Um, <laughs> he is so large. Um, my personal answer to this question is I don't want to fight anyone because I love RZA and I love cats. I don't want to fight a cat-sized RZA or RZA-sized <laughs> cats. I want to be friends with all of these things. I don't want to fight. Why can't we all just get along? I was, was going to say, like, like, it's a case where you fight them with friendship, you know, and the very hashtag my little pony, like, thing that seems That's to be... That's a recurring <laughs> theme now. Yeah, it's a recurring Taco, theme. Taco is magic. We're... Friends with a cat who also is Rizza. This is this like is some, this is like some fucked up like Dungeons and Dragons shit, man. It's but really, like, it's but like really like perky pastel like Dungeons and Dragons for like six year old girls. Wow, I mean, which, would have actually, which would have actually been really my cup of tea when I was that age. So they're gonna sense the dogs. They're gonna smell the dogs, and then it's gonna attack me because it's gonna think ah. I'm a dog. So I would, of course, end up being in a fight, and I'm going to have to go with one RZA-sized cat just because cats have giant claws. So I would imagine a RZA-sized cat would basically just be a lion or something. (laughs) So I would rather just like it slit my throat and just end it quickly than get ganged up by a bunch of small RZAs. Yeah, just to me, that's the quickest out. So just, just make it quick. The small Rizzas are just, they're going to be tough to deal with. Like, yeah, they're just going to piss yeah. me off. Like, I'm still going to die, like, but like, in, like, efficiency, and it's going to, like, they're just going to, like, combine to take you out. Yeah, yeah I, I'd I mean, rather not. That, that's a slow, painful death. Just make it quick. I mean, we talk about how good Rizza is in the press. If you have to fight 10, like, cat sized Rizzas in a press, like, that's, that's like that scene in the, what is it? There was that one really old movie, like, The Borrowers, right? Where in the end. Oh like, my they, God, yes! Yeah. It's kind of like in The Borrowers where they kind of take over, like, that house and tie someone down by just being crafty little fuckers, you know? So I, I kind of, like, I kind of worry. I, I realize that very tiny people are very dangerous things in movies, generally, between them and Oompa Loompas. So, yeah, um, <laughs> fight one RZA-sized cat seems to be the consensus by split decision because Lee abstained because of the pacifist policy. So, yes. Um, yeah. So, next question coming from Eric Friedlander. And it's Oscar season, so it's a film-based um, question, actually. So, if Red Bull was a movie, who is the dream cast? For simplicity, you just have to cast Jesse, Armis, BWP, Long, Mwil, Davis, Rizza, Royer, Kaku, and Tyler Adams. I'm just going to throw it out there that that is not simplicity. He named like half the fucking team, <laughs> and a coach who isn't even with us anymore. Yeah. Like, holy <laughs> shit. If we should pick to, three. Yeah, no, if you want to do simplicity, you should have, yeah, you should have picked like at the most five. That's like 10 people. That's a lot. We could like, we could do a whole separate podcast just talking about this. Yeah, I, I do feel not, like. Do not underestimate my ability to just name actors because I will. Yeah. I mean, I feel like this could be its like own article, right? That we could publish like at some point. Cause like this, cause like, um, but I'm going to, I'm going to open, I think with this, I, 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 I was thinking about this question a lot and I get Willem Dafoe vibes from Jesse Marsh personally. Like I have Willem Dafoe down as my Jesse Marsh. Um, <laughs> I can see it. I can see it though. Though my choice for Jesse Marsh would be like a slightly aged up toe for grace. Right. He's just got that really like white suburban vibe that Jesse also has. And I, I, I can just see it. And then I think that um, 
the ideal Chris Armas is probably going to be Oscar Isaac. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Honestly, Chris Armas should also just like be, to be quite frank, like really flattered because Oscar Isaac is the internet's boyfriend. So I mean, (laughs) there'd be a lot of people who would be lining up to see this like Chris Armas biopic if he was played by Oscar Isaac. So you know. Yeah, yeah, I think I had Oscar Isaac as my Armas pick as well, and it's gonna be really fun to see like Oscar Isaac like do all the hand signs. Like, yeah, it's gonna be great. Like, He's got that energy. He's got that vibe. He does. I, I've... He does. Like from in, from uh, what was that movie Inside Lewin Davis? I think like he really got that whole uh, deadbeat like uh, trailing off like halfway through the sentence vibe like down pat. So Oscar <laughs> I Isaac. Wanna, is I want to see him do the Fortnite dance. <laughs> <laughs> um bwp i'm gonna throw out mahershala ali personally i think that'd be sick if you even though he does kind of look old but he does have that very statesman-like vibe that you get yeah he's got the gravitas yeah yeah he's got the gravitas i would go with daniel kaluuya because he is not nearly as old and he's got the appropriate accent and he also has just like a very like cool guy vibe because anyone who plays BWP's got to be cool. Well, like this is this is a fact. Well, actually, I, I throw out a proposition. Actually, what if Daniel Kaluuya was Kamara Lawrence? Actually, like I, actually, just, that would be really that 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 would actually be really great. I just yeah. we just want Daniel Kaluuya in this film because he's wonderful. Like he can yeah. play he can play whoever he wants. He can play Tim Parker um, for all I care. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> It's, it's like it's like in that one uh, movie, like about the South African rugby team, where like their six foot two captain became five foot five Matt Damon. So yeah, <laughs> I, could go, I could I could go with it. Yeah. Um, um, Aaron Long, I'm getting like Ansel Elgort vibes for some reason, but like, Ansel Elgort was my Alex Wheel choice. So clearly, he's just another one that we just want to see in this film. Yeah. Ansel Elgort reminds me of Wheel because they're just both also like young dudes from Manhattan. I feel like they have that attitude that comes from growing up here. Some crazy meta shit would be if Alex Mew was Timothy Chalamet, actually. Because, I mean, they are that buds. Would be. Yeah, I know. <laughs> they're, they're both, they, they got the Frenchy vibes. Um, Though Timothy Chalamet's got the same cheekbones as our like young Danish child that we've just brought in. Like yeah, that does, was my actually. that was when I when I first saw him, I was like, damn, you could like actually injure someone on your face. As could Timothy Chalamet. That is that is not a that is not a small feat. Uh yeah, let's just hope no stories break about Matthias Jorgensen or Peaches at any time throughout the uh, season. That'd be kind of awkward, wouldn't it? Um <laughs> <laughs> Um, Sean Davis, who's like, who's that half Japanese guy who, uh, uh Sen Mitsu, I can't pronounce last oh, name. Sen Mitsuji. Uh, yeah, yeah, yes. yeah, 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 No, I think that's a pretty good show. And you kind of, and I did want to have some very nice Hafu representation because, uh, what is it? Like, by, 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 biracial kids do have like their own kind of, uh, identity problems sometimes and we get to have some, uh, mixed representation on the screen, you know? So I think, uh, yeah, it's a good shot for Sean Davis. Reza, I thought would have been like Andy Circus in CGI, just because it'd be like funny. <laughs> he is CGI. He's, he's Pikachu. He yeah, is a Pokemon. He's a CGI Pikachu. But also, <laughs> I was like racking my brain to try to think of like all of the German actors I know who would be a good Reza, 
And there's this one guy, Tom Schilling, who was in a miniseries called Generation War, which is pretty intense. But also, um, he was he's mainly well known for being on the show Tatort, which is basically Germany's Law and Order that's been on for like 40 years. And they make like movie length episodes. And it's like, fucking insane. Um, like if you see a picture of this guy, he's got the RZA vibes because he's he's also slight. He's not very big, but at the same time, I don't think anyone embodies RZA better than Pikachu. Would that be awesome if it was like basically the Detective Pikachu like character voiced by Ryan Reynolds, but just inexplicably wearing like a Red Bull jersey for the whole? <laughs> and then the scene where they filmed the uh, cut in the, the comeback scene against SKC, it's like Pikachu in a jersey coming onto the field, and he scores two bangers. Like, that'd be... That would be amazing. That's the only I, I... way that game could have gotten better, actually. <laughs> like, no offense to Rizzo. Like, I love actual Rizzo, but if he were a Pokemon, that would also be cool. <laughs> I mean, like, Andrew, if you're listening to this podcast, like, please give us the uh, Rizzo Pikachu crossover content that we desire. Like, at some point. Like, <laughs> if, if, if he wins MLS Cup, like, I want to see him in, like, the open top bus parade wearing a Pikachu costume. Like, that'd be fucking <laughs> awesome. <laughs> And his victory speech. This is indeed all I want now. His victory speech would just be Pika Pika in like a German accent. Like, I'd be, I'd, I'd be yeah. for that. Right? It'd be like some bumping bass in the background. It's like the EDM, like German club remix. <laughs> yeah. Um, Royer, I had Tom Hardy because Tom Hardy kind of is a bit of a psycho, and Royer is a bit of a psycho. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, they're, they're both really intense people. I think we can kind of agree on that. So I definitely yeah. kind of have them in them as being that. And uh, I don't know. Um, Tyler Adams, we all agree, I think will be Justice Smith. From Going back to all- Detective Pikachu, because, you know. Yeah. I mean, like, why wouldn't you? I mean, like, it's the fucking, uh, what is it? It's the, it's the honeypot here. And... Um, Kaku, I think I'll also have as Andy Circus in CGI doing another role. I guess Andy Circus CGI is both Riza and Kaku. Andy Circus in CGI is just a go-to like solution to problems we can't solve. Clearly, yeah. Because <laughs> like, oh man, like I I, 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 don't know. Like I was racking my brain over who would be like a perfect Kaku, and I realized that no one really could embody Kaku like Kaku. So maybe Kaku plays himself. Like, that'd be your crossover, like, hit right there, maybe. I mean, like, does anyone have any, like, real off-the-wall suggestions for Kaku? Like, I'm not really sure, personally. I thought of one the other day, and it, it completely escapes me, and I hate my life now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, actually, was... I do I do have an off-the-wall suggestion. It should be Scarlett Johansson, because she apparently can play <laughs> anyone. <laughs> <laughs> She oh, can Lord. be Asian. She can be a trans male. <laughs> like she, 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 she can be literally anything she wants to be. So yeah, Kaku's acted by Scarlett Johansson. <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna be an expensive movie. Yeah, I think I think we're gonna the money. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we are. It is gonna be funded by a ten point four billion dollar corporation, after all. So I think like my, like uh, it's gonna do better than United Passions. That's for sure. They're gonna use a third DP <laughs> money on uh, on filming this movie. Yeah. The third DP is this, is this film. Yeah, it's Andy Serkis. The third, the third DP is Andy Serkis in motion capture. 
Yo, remember when they like it got Sebastian Vettel in as a trialist and it like made people melt the fuck down? I think that was exactly <laughs> like almost ten years ago on the day. So this would be a really nice uh, decade long like a uh, long con for you is if they signed Andy Serkis to like a DP contract to like promote promote this movie. I think people would melt the fuck down and be delicious. Freelander is follow-up asking, also, if you had to make a buddy cop movie, who would you cast from the Red Bull roster? And, you know, I'd really like to see, like, one of those, like, really existential French, like, noir films, <laughs> noir comedy films with Vincent Bezicourt and Florian Below. So, uh, I think there's a lot of comedy there. There's potential I could see there. that being, like, black and white in very kind of, like, French New Wave style. <laughs> yeah right like, some, for some reason for some reason they're smoking the whole time even though they're like professional athletes yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, i mean i would also love the rizzo royer one which would probably honestly just be an episode of that show tattoo that i just mentioned Oh, actually, but, um, Rizzo and Royer would be batshit because, like, I imagine, like, they'd be doing like all kinds of drugs on a down low, all trashy, yeah, trash, <laughs> yeah. place in the background. They're going undercover in their club, obviously. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They have to, they have to bust like an illegal drug trafficking operation in the clubs of New York on behalf of Interpol. Actually, <laughs> I kind of like the way that this is going. Like, yeah, I mean. Rizzo I want it to be on behalf of the Interpol, the band, and not like actual Interpol. I think that would be better, honestly. Yeah, I feel like tomorrow would be funny in a movie. I just don't know who would who would he uh, who would he be good with. Yeah, no, he's he's got a good personality. I could see him being he being fun. Kamar and maybe Amir, because I feel like Amir's a savage in the down low. I've always had that vibe from <laughs> yeah. him. I mean, it's pretty cool. Or like Kamar they... and... Wait, Kamar and who, sir? Kaku. Oh, <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Wouldn't that be that? That be it. basically we want to cast the whole team in a buddy cop movie as well. I think it's kind of like a consensus here. Um, so next question coming from Patrick Dowan: Which famous or infamous movie villains would you equate RBNY rivals with? The meta question being, who is even a rival? So I guess I'm going to separate rivals into two categories here, and we're going to put actual rivals, which are DCU and NYCFC, and you have online rivals, which is Atlanta. Um, so um, DCU, well, I kind of, um, so, hmm. no, no, you please, go ahead. Please you, go ahead. No, because I have no idea who DC would be. I really don't, because all I know about DC is that they'd be someone really washed, like a villain from like the past who is like no longer like menacing or cool. Oh, man. Arnold Schwarzenegger from the uh, from Batman and Robin. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine Benny Olsen going around in the in, in like the Mister Freeze costume? No, that fun. would be ruining. No! <laughs> <laughs> I want to see this really badly now. So, so DCU is just the film Batman and Robin, then basically. <laughs> Uh, actually, you know, you know, no, no, wait, 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 hold up, hold up. Like Wayne Rooney would be like Jason Statham's character from the Fast and Furious. That's an insult to Jason oh, yeah. Statham. Don't do this. <laughs> yeah, you're I right, love actually. Jason Statham too much for this to be allowed. Yes. Um, wow, I did have one for DCU. I think it would be another Schwarzenegger role, actually. Like uh, in Wait, Schwarzenegger was in Terminator, right? Like he was, right? So yeah, he was Terminator. He is maybe, a maybe Terminator. 
Yeah, he is the Terminator, right? So, I mean, like, maybe, like, you have this very iconic villain from back in the day who's suddenly making a comeback, you know? So you have that signature line, I'll be back. And that's what DCU are. You know, like, they're back all the time. I mean, it's definitely what Ben Olsen does. He's always back. Yeah. He always seems to come back. So, yeah, I think um, DCU... Would yeah, and every like- new version still sucks. <laughs> <laughs> and that puts the bow on it. Yeah, okay, so I think that's perfect. I think, I think I'll go with DCU being the Terminator. I had NYCFC as being like the team Germany from Cool Runnings because like they <laughs> they're 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 built on Euro snobbery and they all like to think they're so cool, like looking down and this ragtag bunch of uh guys from a relatively unheralded part of the country in New Jersey. So yeah, no, I think uh, That's yeah, perfect. NY, NYCFC, yeah, you're the your team Germany from Cool Runnings. See, I was uh, thinking that they'd be like the shitty gang from the Warriors. Oh, true. (laughs) (laughs) The gang that like frames the Warriors that are like total shitheads. The rogues. Yeah, the rogues. (laughs) (laughs) Or they'd just be like a movie that involves an evil cop because which is, you know, because we know how much they, they love cops. Oh, yeah, they could be uh, McCluskey from The Godfather, actually, and they get shot through the head huh. by Michael Corleone. Like, that'd be pretty cool. <laughs> <laughs> I'd be down for that, actually. Wow, this is great. <laughs> uh, a lot of possibilities here, so I'm going to accept all of those, basically. Like, I think, I think all of those opinions are valid. Um, Atlanta, for an online rivalry, it'd probably be, like, I don't know, like, uh, this is going to be, like, a really deep cut, but it's going to be the antagonist from that um, Freddie Prince Jr. film, uh, no, sorry, that Frankie M- M- Muniz film, uh, Big Fat Liar, where he's like that. <laughs> what? He's like that. He's like that movie producer that steals all their content and tries to pass it off as their own and being really, really fucking cool. Oh, shit. So, yeah, like, considering, how, considering what giant fucking corn cobs they are, like Cobb Usri is totally that guy from Big Fat Liar. So that's <laughs> my choice for Atlanta United. Well, when I was thinking about Atlanta United, I was like, what do I associate Atlanta fans with the most? And I realized that what I associate them with the most is an anthropomorphic boat shoe. And so I was like, like, what movie villain can I think of who's an anthropomorphic boat shoe, basically? And I thought of someone who I've already compared Julian Gressel to individually, and that is Sebastian Stan's character in Hot Tub Time Machine. Oh. <laughs> he's just like a douchey frat bro who sucks and then he gets beat by like Don Cusack we get to beat Don Cusack which is cool shit that's a good shout actually I'm yeah. down with that one <laughs> I don't know Fernando do you have any like uh, potential like suggestions or no, that- I, I think was, no I think those are pretty good alright well I think so yeah there you have it to recap uh, DCU's Determinator uh, NYCFC would be Team Germany from Cool Runnings. Um, what is it? Uh, the sh- the Rogues from the Warriors or McCluskey from The Godfather. And Atlanta United had, had as being that asshole from Big Fat Liar or Sebastian Stan from Hot Tub Time Machine. So yeah, there you go, people. That was a, that was a, that was a great question. So I think moving on to uh, more team-related questions, Edward Ritter asking us to please discuss roster construction how many slots are left, how many international slots and needs to be filled in the summer window. And also saying we have a lot, committed a lot of TAM with the contracts for Long, Parker, Rizzo, and Jorgensen. We're going to turn into Orlando and have to have a demolition in the new future, are we? 
And I'm going to go right off the bat and say I kind of do disagree with this idea that we're going to be that we're reaching critical mass with this roster because we have a lot of roster flexibility that kind of gets overlooked. So even though we have a lot of money tied up in Tam for Parker, Long, and those guys, is that you're getting them locked in for their prime years. You know, it's not like Toronto did where they locked in 28 or 29-year-old guys into three or four-year contracts which took them beyond their age 30 season. No. Tim Parker and Aaron Long are up for a renewal in their age 29 and age 30 seasons. So you're locking them down for most of their prime years. And then that's when you kind of start thinking about like, but thinking about like potentially bringing in a replacement, this idea of that we of that with the fact that we need to do in Orlando and blow up the roster soon, I disagree with that as well. I think our players have a lot more sellability on the market, which allows us to kind of get some of these contracts off. You're going to be having to replace BWP and Robles in the coming years as well, which means you have a DP slot opening up as well to bring in potentially a new impact striker. You know, I think there's there's a spreadsheet that was posted, I think, on Facebook that I found, we have an excess still of $865,000 in general allocation money and seven hundred and about 700000 in TAM. So we have a lot of money still to do all kinds of roster fuckery if we really needed to. So um, the only and, thing... And, and that also... Sorry. And, and No, real quick. And, and that's just from the allotment, the brand new allotment for this year. That doesn't include... Any extra, you know, tan that we've acquired or tan that that we've, you know, that we picked that we still might have from previous years. Yeah, exactly. So I think the team's done well to stockpile all these assets recently, where we have a very deep and very well put together roster of guys entering or about to enter their primes, with a lot of flexibility to add extra pieces where we see fit. And this is why I wasn't quite so worried about not having a third DP or anything, because we've already produced the best regular season in MLS history off of this. with still so much roster flexibility we have. Now, I think the one thing I'd like to point out is the fact that we don't have any international slots open at this time, which means that any potential reinforcement will have to be an American abroad or some kind of trade within the league. Just why I was kind of suggesting this whole thing about potentially having to trade one of our surplus wingers for a piece somewhere else to help us. So, um, or we trade one of our surplus pieces right now for an international spot that we can use to bring in someone from outside the league. So I think a lot of potential um, flexibility here with assets that we currently have on the roster, as well as assets that we currently have that are sitting unused. You know, and I really can't emphasize enough like how big it was to stockpile all that TAM so you could pay both Long and Parker and have them locked down through their prime years. Like, and Kamar Lawrence as well. Like, I mean, that was just some awesome shit from Dennis Hamlet. Like, I can't emphasize enough like how fucking awesome it is that we're going to be having most of our back four locked down for their prime years. Like, that's huge in MLS. <clears throat> and, yeah, uh, I, I'm not. I'm not worried about it. I mean. I don't want to get too too into it because it gets kind of complicating, but um, Orlando shot themselves in the foot, not only because of how much they they laid out, but the way they laid it out and kind of how they used um, and how they used the TAM uh, and kind of how that relates to the to the salary cap because you can kind of pay down. You can use TAM not just to bring them below a DP mark to the point of like the – the uh, max cap hit, but you could pay them below that. So you can actually reduce your, your total salary cap hit. 
Um, there's just a lot. There's a lot of weird things you could do with allocation money. And, and just the way Orlando went about theirs was just like the least efficient way as possible. Um, and then don't forget, a big chunk of what Orlando lost in allocation money wasn't even um, what they were playing, what they used for the player contract. They lost a bunch of allocation money just to get uh, just to get um, uh, what's this fucking asshole's name? Uh, Dom Dwyer. <laughs> so that's actually a big chunk of where they lost their allocation money. Not not just having a bunch of TAM players. They lost a whole bunch of money by just you know throwing money at 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 a at a at Kansas City. So that's where it's not the same for us. We gave a little bit of money for for Sasha before and and you know we've given away a little bit of TAM here and there but for the most part we're using our allocation money for actual player contracts and that's just fundamentally different than Orlando who did that but also just threw a whole bunch of TAM out the window um for uh for Dom Dwyer. So it it's it's a lot different. I'm not worried about that at all. Also, Dom Dwyer sucks. Yes, yeah, fuck Dom seriously, fuck that's Dom a key Dwyer. difference. You yeah. shouldn't even call him Dom Dwyer. He should only be known as Mister Sidney Larue. He doesn't deserve <laughs> to have like his own name. True. I mean, like, look, Sydney, like, like, is a third DP, like, on her own, just for like her Twitter game when she like made Merritt Paulson rage quit. Like, that was fucking rad, man. <laughs> that's just like a public service. Yeah, that's a public service. Like, thanks for that, Sydney. Like, just, just please sort your husband out. Uh, one more thing I'll add to this about us differentiating ourselves from Orlando is that this was the foolishness of bringing in guys with no potential resale value in the market. You get saddled with a lot of really bad money tied up in guys who are 30 to 30 to 32 years old. Like you can't really move that as easily off your roster as you might someone who's say maybe 24, 25 and making much smaller amounts of money. Like that's just a simple fact. You see this thing happening all across Europe as well. You have so many bad contracts tied up and guys who don't fit that aren't being moved because like they make way too much money with your age group. And that includes guys like Alexis Sanchez and Manchester United. That includes basically the entire Chelsea roster. Like I can go on and on about this, but yeah, that's sort of like why I don't really think we're in the same position as Orlando because we don't have, we're not really stuck with that same, problem when it comes to uh, potential resale or moving on pieces um okay so i think the last question is an over under for a whole bunch of players on the roster so we're just going to do this quick fire style this comes from colin who asks over under minutes played this year so i think we're just going to go along just shout out over or under for each player and uh we'll just do this quick fire style so ben mines 500 minutes i take the under <laughs> we're we're very quick fire. Yeah, um, not answering the question. I I go under two. I go under. Uh, Omir Fernandez, three hundred minutes. I think uh, I'll take the over. I do the same. I think we're going to see more of him. Same. Kofi, three hundred minutes. I'll take the under. Yeah, I, I just think we have enough people in that position. It makes sense. It'd be the under. Under. I think he's going to spend most of the year uh, with Rebel too. Uh, Sean Nealis, 300 minutes. I think I'll take the over, considering that we'll be having a few players away for uh, various international tournaments in the summer. I would have said the under until you said that, and so now now I'm on the fence. I think it could go either way. I'm going yeah. over. Hmm. Uh, Jorgensen, 1,200 minutes. Um, oh, man, I think I th- I- I'd like to see the over. 
So I'd aspire for it to be the over. Yeah, I, I want it to be the over. Over. Uh, Marcus Epps, 1,500 minutes. I think I'm going to take the under, but just about under 1,500 minutes. Yeah, I'm going to go under. I think he's going to peg around 1,200 minutes, 1,300 minutes. Yeah. Uh, Christian Caceres Jr., 1,200. Um, I think this is another one that could kind of go either way. I'm going to err and decide a caution, say the under. Yeah, I'm going to do the same. I'm going to go even. He's going to get about 1,200 minutes. Hmm. Kyle Duncan, 1,000. I think that's just the over for me because you're going to be seeing a lot of rotation early on in the season. So, yeah. Yeah, I think for him it's definitely over. Over because he's going to be our starting right back at some point this year. (laughs) Double down Uh, on that. (laughs) Andreas Ivan, 1,500 minutes. Uh, I'm taking the under in this one. He seems to be lost in the wing churn, so I don't think he's going to be getting as many minutes as we may think he does unless he shows something. Same. Yeah, I'd like it to be over because I want to see more of him, but because of so many people that we have in that position, I don't necessarily think we will. Uh, Amro Tarek, 500 minutes. I'm taking the over in this one for the same reasons as uh, Sean Nealis. Yeah, definitely over. Better be over. Brian White, 1,200 <clears throat> minutes. I think this one's definitely like under because I think he's going to be like seeing some time spotting for Bradley, but not as much as we may think, so... Probably get a couple cut games here and there, but that's going to be about it for Brian White. Yeah, I'll say under. Under, but maybe not. Maybe not. Bleh. Under, but maybe not by that much. I think he's going to be playing a lot this year. Mm, Vincent Bezicourt, one thousand minutes, and this is another where I'm going to think that that's about in line where he should be. So I'm going to take the even yeah. on that one. Yeah. Same. Uh, yeah. And uh, Derek Etienne to round out the post, 1,500 minutes. I think he gets... I'm on board trading him for some kind of asset, so I'm going to take the under for this one. Yep. Yep, I am taking the under on that one. Uh, And that just about does it for us here. Um, So, yeah, I mean, thanks once again to everyone who uh, sent in a question today. These were wonderful. I mean, like, the film questions were fucking... Like, I hope you guys enjoyed listening to that. Um, I got through a whole run thinking about answers to those questions. They were like occupying me for an extended amount of time. So I appreciate that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, so I guess without further ado, uh, thank you, Lee, for coming on and uh, shedding some light on both film and soccer with us. <laughs> thank you for having me. I don't know if shedding the light is the right word, but <laughs> but I try. <laughs> and, uh, what can I say? Well, at the very least, we've we've probably success. We got the uh, FBI and CIA on us, so we're good. FBI, CIA, and we have casted Andy Circus as our third DP. So, uh, yeah, there you go. I mean, I think that's a pretty successful episode overall. Like, I think it's definitely a lot more productive than some of the other ones. <laughs> that's for sure. Um, uh, as a reminder, everyone, uh, tweet sixty nine of Brian Singer, Peter Farrelly, or even both. If you do both, you'll be inducted into the Metro Fan Hall of Fame Twitter. Twitter champion Hall of Fame. So yes, please get on that as soon as possible. Tweet 69 to the pedophile and the sex offender. Thank you very much. Um, so rounding out here, everyone on MetroFan TV, we'll see you Wednesday and Sunday for this team's two-game fixture. Yes, that's right, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to the grind. We have weekly Red Bull soccer, and that feels great to say. Good morning, good afternoon, and good night from Metrofan TV. Thank you for listening. Peace.